This is Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. Elliot, let's get right to our next guest. Former Buffalo Bills, Chicago Blitz, Chiefs head coach. He's a member of the NFL Hall of Fame. He won four AFC championships. He's got a new book out called Between the Lies. Marv Levy, how you doing, Marv? Very good. Good to be with you both today and with all your good listeners. Well, thank you. Marv, I went on Amazon and I bought your book last week. It's excellent. I'm still reading it, but again, you basically talk about how a franchise has started and you take it from the eyes of a journalist, which is very interesting. Yes, well, between the lies, but it, and uh, it, it, there's a lot of looks inside the workings of an NFL team in fictional form. I hope it's entertaining. Um, what the coach-owner, general manager relationship is, what the, the relationship with members of the media is, and uh, not only what's going on with the coaches, but what goes on in, turn, in the internal workings of uh, journalists, too. Try to weave it all in. Okay. So once upon a time when you went to co-college, you got a degree in English literature. So what took you so long to write a book? Well, I'll tell you what took me so long, getting ready to play our next game against the Miami <laughs> Dolphins uh, or the Patriots or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, actually, uh, yes, I, I did major in English and in history in, in college, and uh, I was always fascinated by, by writers and said, someday I'd like to write a book, but uh, I was too busy. I put aside countless plot lines and character studies uh, so that I said someday when I finally am retired, I'll get around to writing it. And that's what I did. I tell you, in one regard, it was like coaching. It was, a, it was hard work, but a lot of fun. And you had a quarterback in the book. The name sounds kind of familiar. Kelly James? <laughs> well, yeah, I do some takeoffs on the, on NFL names. I don't depict the character to be exactly like like the name. Well, I have Kelly James, and uh, there's a, a quarterback for the Saints named Manning Archibald, which is a takeoff <laughs> on Archie, Man, Archie Manning, and, and several others of that nature. And I hope I have some other rather entertaining names in. The head cheerleader of the uh, Los Angeles Leopards, Angela Yum Yum Baklava, for, for one, and, and some other, I hope, eye-catching and then maybe give you a chuckle type of names in the book. And you take a journalist from Chicago who goes to L.A. as your main guy, right? Yes, the protagonist in the book uh, is, named, is a, a legendary sports writer named uh, Mel Herbert who uncovers that his hometown team coach has orchestrated a massive cheating plan in order to get the team to the Super Bowl. But uh, the, the reporter, Mel, is agonized. Can I disclose it? Can I break the hearts of all our people here in the Los Angeles area? Uh, can I make it hold up? Can I verify it? Are we going to be sued for libel? Uh, so many other things uh, that make it a difficult decision for him, and I hope keeps the reader reading uh, how it does come out. So are you working on your next book? Well, not working on it yet, but uh, I, I would enjoy writing another. This one will not be sports-oriented. It'll be one of those uh, mystery uh, novels. Uh, the basic premise will be something which involves double jeopardy, but uh, won't go any further than that, or, or some renowned author will steal my idea, of course. <laughs> How long did the whole writing process take you? Well, writing that, that book, once I had, you know, again, I had a lot of the character stuff and the scenes uh, put aside. It took about two years, but strangely enough, writing the book initially wasn't as time-consuming or as demanding as the constant rewrite and editing and making sure you took out things that uh, uh, slowed down the flow of the story or, or 
that you had to get things in right sequence, or maybe you'd like to express something a little bit differently. So all the rewriting, along with the other, took about two years to get it done. What's more financially profitable, writing a book or being coach of the Chicago Blitz? <laughs> well, that blitz only lasted one year. We had a uh, and there was a lot of checks bouncing bank, too. Who, who was bankrupt? Uh, we, we couldn't pay our players or coaches. Uh, in that instance, uh, I'd have to say writing the book. But uh, you know, the book was fun. Uh, coaching over forty-seven years was was what I, I defines me. In structuring the book, how long was that process? Well, I, I assume right. you had to do that before you start the writing. Right, and that is is very demanding to get the outline, and then again, as I say, to constantly revise it and, and think you got a good outline. And say, oh wait a minute, this doesn't jive with something that I got five chapters earlier, or I'm planning on several chapters later. Um, yes, doing the outline of what you want to do is it, and sometimes I, I realize don't just outline, start writing, start writing, you know, and then readjust. There's all different ways uh, to, to put one together. And I did a lot of writing, reading, I should say, from uh, re- very accomplished writers, and they all had a little different take on how you approach it. Being a Harvard graduate, is it hard to write to make sure you write to the level that most people can understand, that you don't want to be too intellectual? Right. You know, one of the great authors of all time was, uh, was uh, Ernest Hemingway. And his whole approach was ultra simplicity, so it can be understood. You don't want to come across as a dumb dumb, but by all means, you want it understandable. You want the story to flow. I I don't want it to be a, an exercise uh, in in uh, somebody trying to figure it out. I want them to be able to follow it. Uh, uh, at least, but I hope is is written intelligently too. Who were some of your favorite authors? Well, Charles Dickens was my all time favorite. I'd have to say that. Herman Walk, uh, Leon Uris, uh, uh, current day, uh, mystery writer. She's very intriguing the way she writes. Mary Higgins Clark, uh, or a few, F. Scott Fitzgerald. Uh, believe it or not, I, I was, uh, I read The Great Gatsby twice, but it was so long ago that I'm in the midst of reading it again and I'm still enamored with the man's writing style. That is my favorite book of all time, the way he wrote that book. Yeah. I mean, I was in high school and I actually read the book and not the Cliff Notes. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, okay, we share that sentiment then. But you mentioned basically you want to reach your uh, readers. It's the same thing with coaching. I mean, being a Harvard grad with the players, did you have to basically make sure that you didn't make things too deep for these guys to understand? Because a lot of them aren't Harvard graduates. No, yeah, I, I, I don't think I ever had trouble with that. Uh, uh, most of the players are a lot smarter than you might think, <laughs> I'll tell you the truth. But um, no, I, I I just tried to be myself. Everybody should coach within themselves. I didn't try to impress them uh, by uh, by being too intellectual. Once in a while, they'd laugh because they thought I used a a word that maybe was uh, not in vogue or not very uh, used very often. Uh, and uh, that's why at one of my uh, jokingly at, at one of the uh, my inner my induction speech uh, at the whole Hall of Fame where a lot of our players were there. I used a big word, and I said, look it up, Thurman, <laughs> who was sitting in the audience, because he used to once in a while raise his eyebrows if I said something which sounded a little bit high-blown. But I communicated when I feel well. Now, is there anything uh, from your skill set in coaching that transferred over to writing? Um, dedication. Um Hard work, sticking with it, even when things don't seem to be going right, all of that does apply, I think. 
and uh, you know, crafting the right game plan sometimes. It's not that simple. Uh, the, the, the biggest thing, again, in making your game plan when you get done with the initials, say, oh, wait a minute, we got way too much in here. How do I pare it down and still do what I want to do? Same thing applies there in writing as well. You ran the no-huddle offense with Jim Colley. I mean, did you have to have a lot of trust in your quarterback to do that? You, you had to have a lot of trust in your quarterback to do it, and I had a lot of trust in our quarterback to do it. But again, I'm going to say this. In order to run that no-huddle and to have him manage it out on the field with a limited we wanted to limit the vocabulary, get the play called quick, we pared our playbook down so that I would imagine we only had 30% of what most teams in the league had in their playbook. But you may say, well, gee, heck, I, but boy, did we get a lot of repetition in practice on it. Did we get an understanding of what it could do? Did we get a great grasp of when to audible out of it? Uh, or audible into the right thing. So there is merit in being simple, 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 simplify. Well, there's also merit in being good. That always helps. <laughs> well, simplify, yeah, yeah, I agree. And uh, sometimes the simplification is what helped us be better. By the way, I noticed some of the teams finally, and I was stunned why they didn't, the no-huddle approach is starting to reemerge as a National Football League way to go after it. Well, you saw that with Atlanta against the Bears in the opener. They Falcons came out with the no huddle, trying to offset whatever defensive changes that the Bears might want to make. And, and, you, and yeah. you think, why don't more teams do that? I I don't know. I, I'm stunned that they don't. People that ask me for advice, I, I ask them to do it. It was an approach that the Indianapolis used with, with some variations, even for Peyton Manning. And most teams don't do it because they don't want to cut back on their playbook and the coach doesn't want to turn too much of it over to the quarterback. We still had communication with Jim, and there were still times that we, we'd yell something to him, but it was so simple. You know, we had a we could yell bacon or eggs, and we meant, we meant the same play maybe to the left or to the right. That's all we had to say. We didn't have to say trips right, 482, da, 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 this guy do that and that guy do that, and you go in motion. Uh, it, it was defined in one word sometimes. Is the game more complicated or is there just more jargon involved nowadays? Um, there's a tendency to overcomplicate everything, in my opinion. Uh, my, my doggone cell phone's too complicated, <laughs> to tell you the truth. Um, but um, no, I, things evolve, things change, and you have to adapt. What do you think about these new practice schedules? No more two-a-days during training camp and basically all these days off. Do you think it's good for the players or do you think just hardcore practice is good? Uh, the, the right balance is what's good. I think there was a gravitation to way too much off-season uh, drills, OTAs, off-season training activities. Um, also, I don't think you need... To, to, to bang every day in practice. How often you have to have a player prove how tough he is. Uh, it, it's easy for the guy who's not, uh, who, who's not out on the field to, to, to talk tough, act tough, and be tough. Um, in, you know, I can think of uh, General Patton in World War II was known to old blood and guts, but he wasn't in combat. The soldiers were, and to the soldiers it was our blood and his guts. Now, you're coaching... Span the time from uh, the, the pre-ESPN days to to the contemporary media coverage. Was life simpler before there was all this uh, 24/7 cable news and all this stuff? Well, sure it was, but uh, you know, in in every era, you can go back to 
1560, and ask somebody was life simpler in 1500, and they'd say, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, it, it, it was, but it's also entertaining, and uh, you accommodate. I used to tell our coaches, if you don't change with the times, the times are going to change you. Would you ever consider getting back into coaching? I mean, look at you got Jack McKeon coaching at 80 with the Florida Marlins, and you have some older NFL coaches. Uh, the answer to that one is yes. Uh, coaching is what I'd want. I don't want to be a consultant. I, I don't even want to be a, a, a general manager. Coaching would appeal. I, I, I loved it. I, I was away from it. I was ready to retire, but uh, uh, it, it would still be very intriguing if the opportunity came. Now, how many teams are going to come knocking for an 86-year-old guy with all your probably experience? Not, probably not any. Probably not any because of that age number, but uh, what can I do about it? Could you re- relate to today's players, and would they relate to you? Oh, yeah. I, hey, the last time I came to the Bills, I was I was uh, over 60, and I told the guys in there, hey, fellas, listen, I want you to know something. There, there, is, there is no generation. We, we don't have a generation gap. We've got a two-generation gap, and and that's what we had. But uh, no, I, that wouldn't be a problem. Heck, uh, I can relate to my three-year-old granddaughter. I can relate to a 25-year-old football player. Some of the <laughs> same mentality. <laughs> the granddaughter might be better behaved. <laughs> or, or maybe worse behaved. I don't know. <laughs> when you were coaching the Bills, I mean, you had Thurman Thomas. You had Jim Kelly, Andre Reid. You had a lot of talent. Is it hard getting a team to play as a team and not as individual talents? Well, I think that's part of that's a huge part of the coach's job and of the type of players he brings aboard. We were so aware that we're not going to bring a guy aboard who was an attitude problem, who had a, a, a history of uh, drug abuse, who was a distraction, who was selfish. Uh, now, now, don't mix that up with personality. We had some guys that were bubbling extroverts and some that were more laid back, but were they team-oriented? Did they show up for practice every day? Did they not place blame on their teammates? Did they try to walk off the field every single day? Maybe it was only an infinitesimal amount, but every single day a a little bit better from what they learned in practice. Those are the kind of people we were after, and I still remain after, and there's plenty of those guys out there, too. Now, your former team, the Bills, beat another of your former teams, the Chiefs. Should people in Buffalo be excited you know, I think they have reason to be. They looked awfully good in that game. Very good. On the road <clears throat> against the last year's, I think I think the Chiefs were in the playoffs last year. How's that for not really studying up on it? Um, but the, the Bills played magnificently in that game, and uh, so I think uh, it portends for a much improved season. If you were to pick one coach in the NFL right now to start a franchise with, who would you pick? Oh, no, I'm not going to do that. That, that. That's too hard. It would be an injustice to... Several others. First of all, I don't know them all. You know, that's one thing. And uh, uh, there are a lot of fine coaches. I don't know them all well enough to give one of those off the top of my head evaluations. Okay. Who would you say was the best coach that you went up against? Don Shula. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, there were so many others. I think we did compete as an, as an assistant against Lombardi, against Landry. I can go on and on. There was... There, there was there were many good ones. Bill Parcells we competed against. Marty Schottenheimer. Uh, you know I can go go through the the list litany of names, but there are a lot of good ones. And uh, uh, every one of them, uh, there's none of them I don't respect. There's there's none of them I dislike. I know a quarterback who gave you fits. My favorite NFL player of all time, Dan Marino. That guy was just incredible. 
Yes, he was. He was magnificent. And I'll tell you what I thought of him and what how he reacted. He has a restaurant down in Tampa with a quotation of mine emblazoned on the floor when you enter. And that quotation is, I love to watch Dan Marino when he's sitting on the bench when we were competing <laughs> against him, that is. That must really aggravate Shula because him and Shula had some basically spats over the years. Oh, Shula, the all-time winningest coach. He taught clean football. He played by the rules, the least penalized team year after year. Uh, he, he A great guy. He honored the game. Uh, I think the world of him. The anti-Raiders. I beg your pardon? The anti-Raiders. Well, okay. <laughs> the, I mean, the most penalized team in the NFL year after year, it seemed like. Well, maybe so, which is which is foolish. Uh, again, I used to have a mantra with our team, and I include it in the book in several places. Don't be dumb and don't be dirty, because if you're dirty, you are dumb. Now, the knock on Marino is he never won a Super Bowl. Well, that's the knock on me, too, you know. So, uh they, they can put you, it you on got, him, you got to a few more than he did, though. <laughs> well, we got to a few more, but he was—he was an outstanding player, a great player, and uh, and uh, you know you can say that there's a lot of players in the league who maybe never did that were that were fine players. Will we ever see the day where we have a franchise like the Bills that does get back on a a consistent basis to the Super Bowl? Uh, I certainly wouldn't rule it out, but I think it's—it it was difficult at any time. But I think it may be a little more difficult now since the institution of free agency. It's hard to keep that that great group of players together because you start exceeding the salary cap and someone comes in and uh, takes away two or three of your top guys. So it's pretty hard to maintain that long-term consistency. I wouldn't rule it out. It could happen. I don't think it will. In closing, what was your favorite moment in your career? Oh, walking up the tunnel at, at that stadium out onto the field every Sunday for one of those games. As I told our players, you don't get paid for Sunday. That's fun. Getting ready for Sunday, that's the work. So it was the best of times, and it was also the worst of times. Yeah, now you're quoting Charles Dickens. <laughs> a little, t- a tale of two cities. Tale of two cities, that's right, right at the beginning of the book. You see, I'm surrounded by two writers here. Elliot wrote for the Sun-Times for 35 years or so, and you're a writer. Maybe some of your intelligence will rub off on an attorney like me. We, we can only right, hope. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you one more. If you're an attorney, I started law school but dropped out when I was offered a job by my college coach to come back. <laughs> a testimony to your intelligence. Thank, <laughs> thank you for being on the show. And my pleasure. Great to visit with you. Thank you very much. That was Hall of Fame coach Marv Levy, writer, jack of all trades. Again, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to have on another Hall of Famer, Former Pittsburgh Steeler, Lynn Swan. You listen to Sports and Torts. I'm David Spade with Elliot Harris. Stay tuned.